Amen. Let's open our Bible to Ezekiel 22. You here to get, hear the word tonight? We've been focusing this whole week on prayer and intercession. And I, I wanted to dig into some of the aspects of intercession tonight. And uh, I trust your students of the Bible because often, sometimes people don't realize this, I guess, but, but often when I teach, you, you have to make certain assumptions that people know something, you know. You can't always start at ground zero, you know. You can't, you can't always say, this is a Bible, this is God's Word, this is inspired. You know, you got to start somewhere. But sometimes you start so far along that you might lose some people. You don't ever want to do that. And sometimes you've got to say a lot in a few sentences so you condense it. And sometimes a lot of my teaching, particularly in the beginning of introductions, is, is intentionally condensed. So just write the notes out and you say, well, I'm not quite sure about that. Well, if it's condensed, what do you do with it? You just got to add some water. You know what condensed milk is. You add some more water. So you take that condensed statement. Just keep adding the the water of the word. And you're going to get more out of it. Especially in the subject of intercession. Because it's very hard to take something that is involved in an entire lifetime. And bring it out in three messages. But I want to give you enough to to wet your, your taste buds so to speak. So that you will begin to step into a role of intercessory prayer. Because the first thing I want to really repeat and reemphasize is God calls all of us to make intercession. And even by saying that, now I know it raises the question in some minds, well, what's the difference between prayer and intercession? You know, if we, if we look through the New Testament, in fact, we see it in in, in, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul said, first of all, prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks should be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Amen. So here you have these different shades of meaning, or, 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 or is it even quite different? I think if we say prayer or giving of thanks, we see, well, there is a difference. Uh, but, I, I, but honestly, is there? You know, I mean, if your child comes down in the morning and says, thank you, mom, for breakfast, and, 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 and you ain't got it out yet, you know, it's, a, it's something of thanks, but it's also a request. And in Philippians 4, Paul very clearly says to, to make your request of the Lord with thanksgiving. You know, someone, someone says, well, Lord, heal me. Well, that's a prayer, but, but it's also, Lord, thank you for healing me. You say, well, what's the difference in that? Attitude, faith, belief in who you're talking to. Because you, you know he wants to. I remember still years and years ago when my son was just little. I don't know what it was. I, I, on his birthday, I guess that's what it was. We couldn't get the bike little bicycle we couldn't get it in time for his birthday so on his birthday I said to him Saturday we're going to go and get your bicycle and he's just a little thing and you know what he did 
I mean, it's his birthday, but he don't have a bike. But, he, but I told him one's coming Saturday. So I said, Saturday, Ben, we're going to get you the bicycle. He starts jumping up and down saying, thank you, Daddy, for my bicycle. Well, now, he didn't see the bicycle. There was no bicycle. What, what was he thanking me for? Because I said I'd get him one. So why would he be motivated to say thank you? Because he trusted me. Right? So when you pray and ask the Lord for something, it should be pretty much second nature to say thank you, right? Because it's on its way. Even if it takes till Saturday, being healed of cancer is, is just fine, isn't it? Thank you, Daddy, for healing me of cancer. Are y'all here? Y'all going home? But so, so when I say there's these different shades of meanings in these words, there's, there's really one theme that runs through. Whether you say prayers, supplications, intercessions, or givings of thanks, they, they all kind of blend together. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish one from the other. But there are shades of meaning for a reason. And prayer and intercession are two separate words that bring out two separate shades of meaning. Primarily, the difference between prayer and intercession is that prayer is communicating with God to receive something for oneself. Intercession is communicating with God to receive something for someone else. Now, that's the basic definition, but it goes deeper than that. In this verse here in Ezekiel 22, which we haven't read yet, let's look at it. He says, and this is God speaking, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Now in this case, God is looking for someone to stand in a position to avert judgment. God's very clear here. There's really no mystery in this verse. God says, if I can't find somebody to stand in the gap, if I can't find one man to make up the hedge, both analogies, which are talking about medieval warfare, where you would have a, a wall, and if Part of that wall got broken down. That's where the soldiers are going to flood in, through that hole. Well, you only need one guy to jump in there. If any of you saw the movie a couple years ago, The Lord of the Rings, there's a couple good scenes where, where the hero, of course, you know, jumps in the, the gap. He jumps in the hedge. Because if there's a hole like that, one guy is all you need. Right? And that's, how, that's an analogy that God is placing towards this role of intercession. That, that God, being a just God, has to bring judgment in a certain situation. Or he's no longer just. But now if, if someone on our side makes up that gap and puts himself in that position, he becomes an intercessor. In fact, we look in Isaiah 59, that's where we find this. But that word intercessor in the Hebrew has a, has a root meaning of intervene. You intervene on someone else's behalf. This aspect of prayer is in everyone's DNA. 
Basically, it can be described by saying, when you see with compassion, you see a problem in someone's life and your heart goes out and the heart cry is this, and everybody has this heart cry where compassion is. Why not me instead of him? Why not me instead of him? That's the, that's the basic first step of intercession. I, I made a little bit of a lighthearted approach. I won't say joke because it's not a joking matter. But back on Monday, I started talking about in the afternoon sessions that I had PTSD. And uh, I, have, I have a terrible case of PTSD. And uh, I think you should have PTSD too. So you know what I'm dealing with. PTSD, praise the Savior daily. And then someone might make the comment, well, that, that, that's really rude to someone who has PTSD. Well, I know several people who have PTSD. And it's not really rude because that is the solution to PTSD. Yeah, it's, it's not making drugs legal. They're trying to make a drug called MDMA. It's a psychedelic drug. Trying to make it legal to, to take care of PTSD. Praising God has been legal and will remain legal and still works. A- amen. And, uh, but when you look at PTSD, the reason people suffer in this way, and, and I'm speaking from some personal experience, is one of the things you deal with is the guilt of why did it happen to somebody else and not me? And there's untold numbers of soldiers that have ended up committing suicide because they could not deal with this conscious grief and guilt that they superimpose upon themselves because their buddy died and they didn't. Well, what's at the root of that compassion? See, if there was no love in that man, he'd never feel that way. In fact, he sits there at now, I'm just going to be blunt with you on this. I've, I've sat in the corner of a bar while this one soldier got just totally drunk four different times because he called me to his side, showed me the email, where four of his buddies committed suicide in a period of about three years. So I told him I'd do it. I was, I was his designated driver. I'd come down there and sit next to him, and he'd tell stories, war stories, tell me about his buddy, get completely drunk when I'd... He's a tough guy to carry, I'm telling you. And get him home and tuck him in bed. And the whole time, he's hardcore. He's a tough guy. Oh, no, he's not. Why is he sitting there with PTSD? Why is he sitting there crying? Why did that other guy off himself? Because he can't reconcile this compassion and love he has on his heart with what's going on in the world. I'll tell you right now, that guy and his friends, if there was a hole in the wall and the enemy was coming in, he's the guy I'd want hanging around because he'd jump in that hole. The heart of an intercessor is to say, me, not them, and I'll pick it up in prayer as if it were mine. Reese Howes has a tremendous definition in his book, Reese Howells' Intercessor. If you've never read that book, I encourage you, Terry and I cut our teeth on that book when we just got married. Uh, yeah, it was the first year we got married. We, 
we named one of our children after after Reese, and uh, we would sit and read a chapter to each other before we go to bed at night. And it it challenged us and built our life of prayer. But one of the things he makes in there is this definition of intercession. Is the reason it's not just a prayer request is because you can pray about a certain thing. Let's say God's promised you to meet your needs and you got an electric bill. So you go before the Lord. You don't have enough money for your electric bill, but you've got scripture promises. So you pray and ask the Lord to meet your electric bill, but then you walk away. And if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You just kind of you know, you're just out there like I was with a little boy with a 22 trying to plink blackbirds off the, off the, the wire. You know what I'm saying? I think once in my entire life I actually cut the wire. But uh, intercession's a bit different. Is Intercession is when you pick up the other person's situation as an assignment. And you don't quit. It's not just a haphazard request that then you get on with life. It's, it's something you sink your teeth into. And as Reese taught in his book, sometimes to the point of, of death, you, you're going to stick with it. If you read some of the Old Testament prophets, you'll understand that, whether it's Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Or let's flip on over to Daniel, and let me show you something in Daniel. Now, I want to bring this flavor of this word intercessor to you so that you understand some of the things I say in its terminology. There are times we pray, there's times we intercede. We don't really pray for Ukraine, we intercede. Amen? Now, the reason I want to really focus on that is because Tied into praying for other people is supernatural assistance by the Holy Spirit at different levels that can sometimes be very alarming, can sometimes be very surprising. And, and again, not to keep, you know, Larry sitting way back there. If he was up front, I'd pick on him even more. But uh, he, he brought up on Monday night in the prayer room before I was even speaking, I thought he was going to preach my sermon to me. But it was very, it, it's always confirmational, it's helpful. But one of the things he talked about is, oh, I suppose 30, 35 years ago, intercession was a hot topic in the body of Christ. And any, any truth, when pressed to an extreme, can become error. And there's, there's balancing truths that need to be understood for, for, for you to, to hold on to that truth. Let me give you an example. Prosperity is a good example. You know, people want to know, does, does God want to prosper me? Well, yes, he does. The Bible's full of it. But God never wants you to become selfish. See, so if you don't have a handle on selfishness and greed, prosperity will destroy you. And the book of Proverbs calls you a fool. Right? Well, it's the same with intercession. That there's areas of moving in the supernatural in intercession when we begin to talk about, and here's some more terms. Some of you young people, you know, I could preach all night long and into next Sunday on the burdens of the Lord when God will give you a burden to intercede. And some of those burdens then 
will, will manifest in your physical body. I've had the, the burden of God come on me that has just literally knocked me to the floor. I remember in 1992 in the fall and on into the spring of 93, I had been invited by Dave Esla to go to Minsk, Belarus to be a part of a pastor's conference in Minsk. I'd never been into the former Soviet Union. You know, come on, we're all Americans. Some of you are old enough to remember how afraid we were of Russia. Russia and all of the Soviet Union. It was the enemy. The only thing I knew about Russia was James Bond. And, you know, I remember flying, flying into... We, God directed me, actually, I was going to fly into Minsk. And the Lord said, don't fly into Minsk. I want you to fly into Kiev and take the train. Everybody thought I was crazy. Well, there's still some people that think I'm crazy. But, but uh, I, I took my assistant, Bruce Latterby, with me. We flew into Kiev. And we're, we're descending. And it was his job to bring the phrase book dictionary. And he forgot it. So we're sitting there. We don't know any Russian. So we're sitting there scratching our head. We've got to know some Russian. We come up with one word from a James Bond movie, Dasvidanya. <laughs> so here I am arriving in Kiev, and that's the only thing I know. Thank God I knew it meant goodbye, you know. So, <laughs> But uh, just months before that, going into this foreign world, right, just, just never been there. I didn't ask. For, I knew I was going. I made the commitment to go. But I did not ask for what God gave me. At least six times, maybe seven or eight times. I don't even know that I'd start to pray. But this burden would come on me for the former Soviet Union. At night, I'd be laying in bed with my wife and, and praying the Holy Ghost. And, and to wait till she got to sleep. And the more I would pray, this burden would increase. I couldn't get out of bed. I literally had to fall out of bed, slip onto the floor like a slippery snake, and crawl into the hallway where I could shut the door so I could groan in the spirit. Now, I don't know, describing an experience like that doesn't sound very attractive. Except when you know it's God and his hand is on you. And you know he wants you to pray. And you begin to pray in tongues. And I, 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 more than once, I'm out on that little hallway between our bedroom and the stairs. On my face on the carpet. And, and I would groan. And you say, well, what's groaning? It's groaning. You, you ever had a good stomach flu? That's what it is. It's groaning. There you go. And when the Spirit of God's on you that strong, there's a response. You have to respond or you blow, you're going to blow up. And every once in a while, not, not often, English would come out. Usually it was just praying in tongues. But every once in a while, when that burden was on me, it was not a mental cogitation. It was not deliberate. Out, just I would groan until it was like, it, it was like giving birth but it would come out my mouth, lead me to the man that will change the nation. That just come out. It didn't come out of my head. It came out of my heart. So, like I said, six or seven times that happened. And six or seven times I'm, I'm praying, 
Lead me to the man that will change the nation. Well, we flew to Kiev, took a train into Minsk, went to the conference, helped with the conference. And one, one, one night of the conference, as I'm going into the building, I saw a group of black men, three or four of them, off to the right. I mean, there's people everywhere. Don't, don't get me wrong. It, it, was, it, it was like any large conference, and there were several thousand there. That I think about 2,000 attended. But I just saw three or four men over by a door, and I don't know why. I just felt attracted to go over and say hello. So I just walked up and said, hello, how are you guys doing? Just put my hand out. And the one guy was surprised. He took my hand, and he shook it, and he's looking at me, and he says, how did you know I speak English? I said, I didn't. I just felt led to come over and introduce myself. I said, my name's Dale Armstrong. He said, my name's Sunday Adelijah. He said, I just got out of a mental clinic because they put me in this mental clinic because I have a Bible study. I said, well, well, tell me about yourself. He said, I'm getting ready to get out of here. I'm going to go to Kiev and start a church. I said, well, when you do, let me know. I'll come preach for you. Well, Sunday at Elijah eventually pastored the largest church in Ukraine. Now, sadly, I'm just going to tell you right now, very sadly, he got off. He made mistakes. He got into the flesh. Anybody in here have flesh? Am I the only one that has flesh? John, how about you? You too? Yeah, we, we all got flesh. He got off, but he reached a lot of people. God had a purpose and a plan for him. He is one of the first people I met. Then I went in into uh, Ukraine to preach, and I made my way down to Mariupol, and we found a church down there in 1993. Already had a thousand people. Sergei Voloshin. Sad to say, Voloshin also got off. You know, when a church is immature and there's not enough foundation. Sometimes greed and selfishness get in there. It breaks my heart. Sergey was a very good friend of mine, but he got off after 10, 10 years, I suppose. But through Sergey, we had a woman in that church that came forward that was blind from birth. She was 72 years old, blind from birth. Laid hands on her and God opened her eyes. Well, the, the word of that miracle got into this little country called Armenia. And a, a pastor of about 200 people, he flew over to meet the American. God told him, fly over and meet this American. So he flew over, and uh, his name's Arthur Simeon. So Arthur, I'm going to tell you how, what, how, how much of a dumb American I am. Some of you might be as dumb as me. Arthur flew over to Ukraine. Well, I pretty well knew where Ukraine was because I had to go there. Arthur says he's from Armenia, and would I come to Armenia and preach in his church? Well, the church in Ukraine was 1,000. His is only 200. Would I come? And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, tell him you'll come for a month. I never did that before, and I did not consult my wife. <laughs> so I don't know. You might be dumb like me too. But I, I said, yeah, I'll come. So we scheduled it in January, and it must have been 94, I guess. And... Uh, he left my apartment where we had this conversation. I'm sitting there and I realized I have no clue where Armenia is. <laughs> I had no idea. Am I going to Africa? I didn't know where Armenia was. Well, I know now. 
And Arthur, you know, we went in and he had about 300 people. And, and uh, when I left, he had about 600. God doubled the church. We went back six months later and he doubled it again. He's over 10,000 people now. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. And I want to say he, he, he hadn't gone astray. Well, there's others. I, I could, I can, I, that, all I want to tell you is I trace all of that, whether you do or not. I trace it back to laying on my face on the carpet. When God put a burden on me and I groaned in the spirit and I, I groaned until this pressure See, here's the thing. Usually when it starts, it increases. And that's where people back off. But you've got to stick with it until it breaks into a note of victory. And in this case, some English would roll out. And that English was, lead me to the men that will change the nations. And victory came in. And I went through this whole line of these leaders. And, and, and things happened throughout the former Soviet that seemed easy and people were wondering, how come it's like easy for you? It wasn't easy for me because groaning on your face on the floor isn't always easy. But see, here's the key. And the reason I want to emphasize this, especially to the young people, the only reason I knew to do that is because Kenneth Hagin was bold enough to teach it. Because otherwise, if that burden had come on me, I probably would have said, get away from me, devil. I probably would have said, maybe I should go see a psychiatrist. I'm depressed. I'm totally serious. If you don't know what to do with the movements of the Spirit that God brings on your life, well, then you, it's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you've done anything wrong. If you don't know, you don't know. But now you know. And I know that God wants to use you in that way. And don't be ashamed of it. Don't be afraid of it. Now, I will say this. It doesn't have to be done out in public. Like I gave you the example. I didn't even want to wake my wife up. I, I, I slipped out onto the carpet and crawled out just so I could groan out loud. I didn't want to wake her up. As I said Monday night, I'm married and I have three kids. So if you have any intelligence at all, you know what my wife and I do. But I ain't going to tell you about it. I'm not going to discuss what goes on in our bedroom. Why? Because that's intimate. Even if you know what it is. Now how come we can't have intimacy with God? We need to learn to develop that. But yes, in, in the midnight, at two or three in the morning, and the power of God comes on you, and you lay in your bed, and you groan in the Spirit, and you cry before God, there's miracles there. And I want to encourage you not to back off from it, but to press into it. And to continue to pray until things break. Well, what will break? Things in your character will break. Things in your selfishness will break. And God will begin to move through you in different areas of, of ministry, different areas of power, different areas of compassion. One time I was, Terry and I owned a uh, little photo shop, Gyra Photos. And it wasn't a really busy place uh, but I was standing at this little glass counter in my little photo shop. Nobody was in there. And I believe I was checking in inventory, doing paperwork, opening some boxes, you know, writing some stuff down, doing, doing busy work that you do in your business. 
And all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, the Spirit of God fell on me. A burden. Now, here's my point, and I really want to emphasize this. I could have said, i got to finish this inventory. You see, you can grieve the Spirit easily. You can grieve the Spirit easily. Learn, Learn to recognize and acknowledge when His hand comes on you, when the Spirit rests on you. If you, if you yield, if you yield to Him, He'll increase. So when the Spirit of God comes on me, I don't care if I am doing inventory. Well, there's nobody in here. See, I'll be honest. If there might have been a customer, I, I might have I said no. Not, not today, I wouldn't. But I'm talking about then. But there was no customer. And the Spirit of God came on me. So I just put my pencil down and started to worship. And it got stronger until it drove me to my knees. Now I'm behind the counter. I'm on the floor behind the counter. And I'm worshiping the Lord and it got stronger. I'm down on my face. Then I got embarrassed. What if somebody comes in? So I literally crawled back into the office. In case somebody came in, they wouldn't see me laying on the floor and call the police. And I got, I got into the back and I started to pray. And as I prayed, I saw my cousin, John. I saw his face. Not, not a vision, I just the impression. You know how you remember people? Some re- there, there was John. And I began to pray in tongues even more until I am groaning like a man in pain. I'm groaning like somebody passing a kidney stone. And all of a sudden, as I continued to pray with this burden, it broke. And this peace comes in. And joy comes in. And I pray a little more. But now, instead of feeling pressed, I feel buoyant on the inside. Is is this interesting or are you all gone home? Because I want you to know how to walk with the Holy Ghost. Because this is for you, not for me. I don't need to talk about myself. I've heard myself enough. But you're the one that you need to go on. Because I believe this next generation is going to see more miracles than my generation. And if you don't, shame on you. And that's a tall order in some ways. Amen? Amen? I saw the dead race before I was 18. Come on, guys. Amen? It's, 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 it's the power of God. So I saw Johnny's face and, and, and I got into this victory. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what he needed. All I know is something knocked me to the floor and now something lift me up and I got victory. Well, it was time to go home. So I, got my, I locked up my shop and I'm driving home. And in our city, there's a central park and it's one-way traffic on each side of the park. So on, on, the, on the right side, I'm going home on that side of the park. On the left side, traffic's going the other way. It's a park with a gazebo. You know, it's a block. That's how big it is. A block, city block. And I see on the opposing side, my father's blue suburban coming that way. And he had a blue suburban since I was born. You know, it's the, I, there's my dad, right? All of a sudden, my dad, who is not crazy, pulls through the park, beeping his horn, and drives his Suburban through the park towards me. 
something's up. So I pull off, the, off to the sidewalk, and Dad, you know, boom, boom, down off the sidewalk with his window down. He sticks his head out the window, and he says, Johnny's in the intensive care in the Meadville Hospital. He fell over dead. I said, bye, and took off. So it's about 30 miles. I drove to the ICU and walked into Johnny. And here what it was is he went in and had to have a, some kind of shot. What was that? Penicillin? They gave him a shot for some flu or something. And then he's supposed to sit there in the waiting room while they watch him for 20 minutes. And he fell over dead. They resuscitated him. And he died. I guess technically he died three times. And they resuscitated him. I walk into the ICU and, there, and his wife's standing there weeping. And I'm watching his heart monitor. And his heart monitor's uh, uh, really high. And the doctor told me what, what, what we gave him. The concern is right now what we gave him, his heart's too high. But I, I don't know. I wasn't worried. Why? I'd already prayed it out. I just walked in. I literally pointed to the heart monitor. I didn't even point to Johnny. I pointed to the heart monitor. I said, heart beat normal in Jesus' name. And, and, and Katrina, Karina and I, standing right there, it just went, whoop, went right down to normal. And I just stood there looking at my, my dear cousin. I love him more than my brothers. I mean, he was more like a brother, I mean. And uh, say, well, where'd that come from? It, it came from yielding to the Spirit because he, thank God I yielded. And the reason I say, thank God I yielded, and the reason I teach this, is there's been times I did not yield. And if there's times I did not yield, there's possibly times you might not yield too. I'm not here to put a guilt complex on you. But I want to make you aware that when God wants to move, because his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. People say, how come these bad things happen? I think sometimes it's because I didn't wake up. How come these bad things happen? Because somebody didn't pray. Say, oh, I I, I don't know, I believe that. Well, then read Ezekiel 22 again. Because it says, I was looking for a man, but I didn't find one. I was looking, but I didn't find one. Lift your hand and say, look no further, Lord. See, now I got you now because now the Holy Ghost knows you're on call. Used to be you'd carry one of them little beepers. And when they needed you and you were on call, that thing would go off. Well, you got a spiritual beeper on you now. And when the Lord needs you in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day or to drop your Big Mac or or whatever it might be to pull off the side of the road. Yield to the Spirit. And don't fight that burden, but invite that burden. Now here in Daniel 9, look at that, I got time, I don't even have to ask for time. The first step in intercession, the first law of intercession, is is. Well, it begins with the law of love. So maybe I'd say it's the second. 
But because of your love or your compassion, your relationship, your responsibility, you will naturally step into this next law, which most Bible teachers, Reese House, for example, call it the law of identification. When your child is sick all night long, nobody has to tell you to stay up. Why? Because it's your child. You have responsibility and compassion and love. And, And let's just be, you know, honest with one another. If my child's sick all night, I'm going to stay up all night, but there's a good chance you won't. And if your child's sick all night, you're going to stay up all night, but there's a good chance I won't. Now, given this or that, maybe I will, maybe you will, but you realize that love and identification come from relationship and compassion and love. That's why you'll pray for your family more than you'll pray for my family. And that's why you'll pray more for this family in this church than you will for some family in Buenos Aires or some church in Buenos Aires. Amen? And there's, there's, there's no reason not to lie about it. This is the channel through which God moves. God is a God of authority. God recognizes it. We laugh about it, but sometimes I don't think we see the power of it. I've always said it. If your mother, kids, if your mom is praying for you to get saved, you might as well just give up. You're going to be miserable until you do. Because mama's got the trail. She, that dog is going to stay on your trail until you submit. And you're going to be miserable until you do, so you might as well just give up now. And if you're here, the altar's open. Amen. My, I had a grandmother and a mother after me. I didn't have a chance. I had the biggest drug problem you've ever seen. Mama drugged me to church every Sunday. Right? And we laugh about it, but that is how God works. And, and the Spirit of God will come on you as it relates to your relationships, where you have influence, your sphere of influence, where you have compassion. And in the natural, that will begin with family. But I know my first experience in intercession happened to be a classmate. I'd preach the gospel to my whole class. Uh, when we graduated, wherever you have spiritual influence, God will begin to use and move through you in a supernatural way. Daniel was just such a man. And yet he was even separated from his people and he rose to be the second in command of an entire nation. But when he rose to power, he did not separate him from the lowest of his own people. And you'll find that immediately Daniel begins to pray or begins to reveal in his prayer that he had remained identified with his people. Let's look here in Daniel 9. Daniel was was examining prophetic scripture that Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied about the deliverance of Israel out of Babylon and the completion of time. And so in verse 3, he said, I set my face to the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, I want to 
remind you what verse 3 says. He did not say a burden came on me. He said, I set my face. See, the Holy Spirit helps us. When you make yourself available, when you begin to live in a life of prayer, then the burdens will come. God's not going to force you to be a prayer warrior. God's not going to force you to be an intercessor. But if you sign up, whoo, brother, here it comes. Here comes the power of God. So Daniel begins to pray. How many of you know Daniel was a good man? You've read enough of the Bible. You know about the character of Daniel. He was an uncompromising man, wasn't he? He was a man of righteousness and of holiness. But I want you to watch his words. He said in verse 4, I prayed unto the Lord my God and I made my confession. And I said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Look at verse 5. We have sinned. We have sinned. And have committed an iniquity. Did Daniel sin? Did Daniel commit iniquity? We have done wickedly. We have rebelled. Did Daniel do wickedness? Did Daniel rebel? Even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, neither have we hearkened unto your servants, the prophets. See, what Daniel is displaying here, and you can read this whole prayer, it take, take too many minutes. What you'll find is no me, my, or I, but we and us. He identified himself intentionally with the people who were in need, which were his own people. Again, remember what intercession is. Remember the, 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 what's ingrained in men's DNA. How, how come me and how, how come him and not me? Let it be me. I'd rather it have been me. See, Daniel picks up the needs of an entire nation in this prayer. And a man who's walking righteously before God, whose character is unblemished, is now beginning to confess what doesn't even belong to him. But he's taking it as if it was his. The first, let me read something to you. The first law of intercession is identification. God cannot impose his will upon another and neither can we. But through the mystery of identification, we become one with the person in need and in that sense, we're making petition for ourselves. We receive the answer while the manifestation and the blessings rest upon the other. See, that's exactly what happened on the cross. Did you know in Isaiah 53, Jesus, that's where he's labeled, he made intercession. It wasn't just the act of voicing words. It was the fact that he took upon himself what should have been on us. When he took upon himself what should have been on us, he dealt with it himself, and then we got blessed with it. That's intercession. So... Without this identification, Christ could not bear our sins, nor we receive his righteousness. With this law of identification, we can freely obtain the grace and the mercy of God and lavish it upon another. Turn with me to John 10. Fathers and mothers, 
if for no other reason you need to grab a hold of this principle of intercession because you can stand in the gap for your children. And you can tell the enemy, Satan, the devil, that serpent, you can, you can stare him down and say, not on my watch, devil. You got to get past me to get to them and you ain't getting past me. You just became an intercessor. Now when you do that, what you'll, what, you'll, what you'll enter into, and the reason you enter into it, but when you enter into it, it grows. But the reason you entered in the first time was because of, and I'm making a, a circular here about compassion, love. There's nothing that explodes so much as compassion when you use compassion. When you stand in the gap for someone and begin to intercede for them, all, everything else disappears. You could be angry for, at your kid for getting drunk or something. But when you stand in the gap with compassion, getting drunk's nothing. Just compassion takes over. And that compassion burns so red hot, the Apostle Paul called it praying fervently. Praying fervently. But see here, in, uh, let's start in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, Jesus is the good shepherd. But Jay, you're a good shepherd too. I'm waiting for an amen or some kind of agreement. <laughs> Maybe somebody from your church. But Jay's a good shepherd too. It's a little bit better. You didn't know there'd be a test at the end of this sermon, I guess. The good shepherd, what's he do? He gives his life for the sheep. People have asked me, well, because I've, Terry and I have uh, put pastors into new churches. Some of them have gone well and some of them have not. So I have a different criteria in picking people that I would say would make a good pastor. And really, it's pretty, pretty simple after you chalk up certain things about it. It'd be great if they were born again. I'm not looking at you for any other reason than uh, it'd be great. You know, all these different characteristics. But what I want to know is, do they love the sheep? Do they love the people? And are they willing to give their life for the people? Because verse 12, he that is a hireling and not the shepherd... Whose own the sheep are not. See right there, what is it? Responsibility. See, God will use you in your sphere of responsibility. Now, I'm not, I'm not through this. I'm not trying to say everyone in here is a pastor of a church. But I am telling you right now, fathers, you better shepherd your kids. And sometimes shepherding your kids is doing nothing but killing devils and wolves, and standing in the gap. Amen? See, he who is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he doesn't care for the sheep. Well, what's a hireling? It's just, it means the only reason he's there is what's he going to get out of it? 
He's there for a, a paycheck. He's there for, for being promoted. He's there so, so, you know, you look good. No, when you, when you have a relationship, that's the beauty of family. That's the beauty of a church that's a family is, is all of that disappears and it doesn't matter what it takes. We're going to see you through this. We're in it too. Identification in somebody's facing a mountain of debt. Identification is I'm, I'm in that, I'm, I'm indebted just like you are. Someone's facing death. Someone's facing some doctor's uh, 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 decision or report that's not a good report. Well, I'm in, I'm in that with you too. Terry and I have been so privileged over the years to have couples and individuals come to us in dire situations sharing tearfully what the doctor had said. And, and it's not like you just kind of go, oh, ho-hum and check off a few boxes, is it? You've got to take it home with you. It's like, it's, it's like that report was written about you. What is that? Identification. Because when one is weak, the other will lift him up. Amen. And if it's in your spirit, just the little bit I've taught you tonight, I can guarantee God will use you. If he'll wake me up in the middle of the night, he'll wake you up too. If he'll drop me to the floor in the middle of my work, he'll drop you to the floor in the middle of your work too. But sometimes we don't want to yield, but we need to yield. And one, one of the ways that you, you'll be more motivated to yield, turn me over to Matthew and we'll try to wind down, circle the airport. Doesn't mean I'm going to land. I ain't out of fuel yet. Matthew 6. Once we're out of fuel, we can glide a little bit. You ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer without identifying with the body of Christ. Read it again and pretend you're Daniel. Look here. Verse 9, Matthew 6. After this manner, therefore, pray you. This is how you pray. Our Father. Whose Father? Not my Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us. See, all this time you've been praying the Lord's Prayer for your daily bread? No, you've been praying for my daily bread. See, see, what did Paul say in Ephesians 6? Praying always for all the saints. Why? Because we're in the body. See, identification is this first law. And a lot... I'm going to tell you, a lot of the blessings on my life is because somebody else prayed. A lot of the blessings on your life is because somebody else prayed. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Oh, you thought this was just about you confessing your sins? Pastor, how can I repent for somebody else's sins? Because the Bible tells you to. You didn't know that? Flip, hold your hand there. Flip over to 1 John.
Look at verse chapter 5, verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin, John, 1 John 5, 16. Back there where the pages stick together. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. So we don't have time. This is a condensed issue, this sin unto death. You can study that out yourself. But you can ask God to give life to somebody that sins. Your, your kid goes astray. Here's how I pray. Lord, pardon him and give him life and restore him to fellowship to you so he's, he's, he's the most miserable person on the planet that he'd run back to you, Lord. That's basically how I pray. He said, I can ask for life. Lord, give him life. That's your answer to your question the other day. Solution, maybe not the answer. So, so I, I'll give you an example to me it was a surprise I don't think I'd ever been so shocked in my life we had a a family way way back 20 some years ago in the church where the husband got into perversions of sex the wife wouldn't cooperate and he, he ended up leaving her and I think one child and he just went out in the world he 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 was one of these uh uh he, he was good at being a sinner. And uh, I don't know, a couple months had gone by. And here's this mother trying to raise her, her little teenage boy by herself. And he was twice as big as she was. I mean, he's a brawler. He's like 14 and he's probably about, you know, he's bigger than I am, you know. And he, he, now he ain't got no daddy, no, no, you know. And he's got a broken heart because his daddy abandoned him and all this rebellion and all this good stuff. And she, she called me once or twice about what can I do? I can't discipline him. And I try to discipline him and he threatens me. And I said, well, the next time he needs a spanking. I said, uh, I'm your pastor. Just call me up. So, so I went up and took this little 14-year-old down and gave him a whooping. I don't know if legally I might be in prison today, but I did it back then. <laughs> and, uh, and it was exactly what he needed. And... Uh, but see, now I'm kind of embroiled in this situation, but I remember I was up one night and I thought, we've got to handle this in prayer. And it was about two in the morning. I'm laying on the floor. I used to, you know, I put my Bibles out on the floor and stuff. And uh, it's two in the morning in the living room. I got all my Bibles out and I'm praying for this fella. And I come up on this verse. And I, I start praying for him. Lord, give him life. Forgive him for his sins. I don't think he sinned a sin unto death. He's, he's out carousing and getting drunk and doing all this stuff with women and prostitutes and all this stuff. But he, he ain't committed to sin unto death. I said, Lord, give him life. It's two in the morning. And I'm sitting there praying for him. We ain't heard hiding or tail of him for months. We don't even know where he is. At two in the morning, my phone rings. I picked it up and it's him. And he, he starts bawling on the phone. He repented on the phone. It's a long story of what happened after. But what I saw was the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our sins. See, you never thought that guy's sins was yours. 
But I'll tell you what, if it's your boy that's the prodigal, his sins are yours. Y'all here, you're going home. See, the first law then of, of identification is, is it's the first law of intercession. It's rooted in love and it's rooted in compassion. And you can't pray the Lord's Prayer without understanding the body of Christ in a whole new way. And if you allow it, it'll take you into levels of supernatural that'll scare you. And I'm just going to be honest. And I hope tomorrow night to talk some more, but we'll, we'll open it up in Colossians. Let's look here in Colossians 2. I'm going to just read something real simple that Paul said and let you, let you think on it tonight. I found a lot of instruction in this simple verse. You know, I've been traveling into the different parts of the world for almost 30 years now. Terry and I laugh about it because now everybody's got cell phones and communication and Zoom and FaceTime and all this good stuff. I mean, back in the... 89 when I went to the Philippines for a month faxes didn't even work I'd disappear in Russia for a month and the only news Terry got was if the Holy Spirit told her something and she'd pray is he alright guess so and she'd show up at the airport and there I'd be with my big fur hat I bought one of those big Russian fur hats one time, showed up in the airport, and Bruce had one too, I think, and both Terry and Erica hid. They didn't want to be seen with us. <laughs> we, look, we look like a comedy show coming down through, through the, the airport. But when, I, but when I was over there, you know, I would still have the burden. Let me say it this way so you understand. You could go halfway around the world. You'd still have a love and a burden for your wife and your children, wouldn't you? I would hope. In fact, I, I refused to look at the pictures in my wallet because when I did, I'd be a sloppy, wet mess. I couldn't do it. I, I met some of these people. They travel and they take a picture out and put it on the, the stand. I'm like, if I did that, I'd be useless. I could never do that. So let me ask you this. If you're halfway around the world and you still feel a burden and a connection with your family, it shouldn't be that hard for you to understand. As a pastor, I'd be halfway around the world. I'd still have a burden and a connection with the church. And things would go wrong in my family, and I'd just know it. Things would go wrong in the church, and I'd know it. And it used to pull me apart. I felt like, do you ever see those cowboys? When You know, cowboys, they knew how to torture people really good. They'd, they'd take some horse thief. You know how to really take care of a horse thief. You, 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 you take a rope on your, each wrist and you tie them to a horse, and you t and, uh, two horses, and you tie a rope on each foot to two other horses and you just have them go in all different directions, you know? And uh, they won't steal your, your horses after that. That's how it felt for me traveling. I'm like trying to love on the people wherever I was at, but I'd go back at night and I'm like burdened with what's going on in my church. And I stumbled on this. Look here in Colossians 2. Let's, uh, let's look at uh, verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say... 
lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. See, for Paul, here was the warning. Here was the red light. Somebody's trying to bring in false doctrine into the church. Somebody's trying to seduce the church with false words. Verse 5, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. Now, this isn't some line from a Hallmark movie. You know, this, this, this isn't some sentimental thing to say at Christmas. Paul said he was there. He said, I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Not only was he in the Spirit, but he was looking at him. Behold does not refer to furniture polish. To behold means to look and scrutinize, to see clearly. So here he is in the Spirit, looking at them. See, Jay, when you're, you're in Ukraine in Odessa, you can get on your knees and in the Spirit, minister and pastor Colorado. Because I've done it. I, I've been caught up in the Spirit. I have, I have been taken places in the Spirit. You cannot put a limit on what God will do if you'll match him with compassion. And like Larry shared on, on Monday, the church got into so much abuse of some of these things and magnifying people and egos enter in because people couldn't get, keep their mouths shut or doing things publicly that ought to be done privately. And the Holy Ghost just pulls away from that. It doesn't need to be that way. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, even when you're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he said, let all things be done decently and in order. Now the problem is when the, when the pendulum swings to the other side, now we're going to do everything in order. We forget about let all things be done. He said, let all things be done. Let's just take that phrase. Let's do it all. Not some of it. Let's not lose tongues with interpretation or the gift of prophecy or working of miracles or word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Let all things but be done, but make sure it's in order. What did he say here? He said, I was present in spirit, beholding what? Your steadfastness and your what? Order. See, if we learn how to walk right before God, you can do supernatural things without being coming across like the guy from Back to the Future. I've woke up a couple mornings and looked in the mirror and thought I was getting close. You got hair coming out all over the place, you know. No, you can walk supernaturally and in order. You can, you can and, and you got to want it. So Paul said, yeah, I'm there. All right, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Or 1 Corinthians 5. Don't run away, Jay. Look here in 1 Corinthians 5. How do you pastor internationally when you don't have Google? 
when you don't have a cell phone? Well, let's watch Paul. You do it supernaturally. I'm hoping some of you young folks are catching this. Some of the older ones are falling asleep. You young people still awake? Some of you, some, some of you old people said yes, so you'd be counted in among the young people. I know how that works. <laughs> Look here in 1 Corinthians 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Something about the church can sin better than the world. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. Now underline that because here's another term. Often through the Old Testament when they would fast and mourn, it's referring to intercession. We can get into that or you can get into that when, when you add the water of the word. That he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, let's just be honest now. You are puffed up and have not mourned that this man be taken away. In most cases, a man who sins like that in today's environment isn't taken away because somebody's mourned. He's taken away because somebody had a board meeting and kicked him out and embarrassed him in front of all of the community. And blackballed him or excommunicated him or shunned him. But he didn't say shun. He didn't say board meeting. He didn't say excommunicate. What did he say? He said mourn. Why do you mourn for somebody that's leaving? Because you hate them? No, because you love them. You ain't going to mourn if you don't love them. I mean, if he's going to leave and your response is good riddance. There ain't no compassion there, is there? Exactly. You don't know what spirit you're of. So, so he said, you're puffed up, filled with pride, instead of saddened or mourning and interceding, that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, I'm just going to tell you a little secret. I taught Sidney this in private, pastor to pastor. And I told him, you know, when, when you get troublemakers that rise up in the church, just pray them out. And he looked at me like, huh? I said, yeah, just get on your knees and tell the Lord such and such and so and so is causing problems. I've tried to reconcile it, Lord, but, but I'd like you to, you know, there's got to be somewhere else better for him. Can you move him out, Lord? And you go back to church on Sunday and they're gone. He said, would you really do that? You better believe it. I cut my arm off to protect the body. I plucked my eye out to protect the body. Amen. All right. But you love and you mourn and you make intercession. Now notice what he said. You did not mourn to take this guy away. But verse 3. For I verily, truly, I'm not lying to you. As absent in body. But present in spirit. But present in spirit. So there's Bob in some Filipino jungle. But he can still be where he needs to be in spirit. Or, there's Bob in Lancaster, but he can still be in Philippines. You say, I don't, I don't know, this is getting crazy. Yeah, you hadn't even started. Jesus is alive and he shows up everywhere. 
You know, most people's idea of Jesus is alive is that Jesus exists in heaven like your dead grandfather exists in heaven. But I hope you don't talk to your grandfather every day. And your grandfather doesn't show up in your back bedroom. Jesus is alive and is unlimited. And he, and he ministers by spirit, in the spirit. He said, I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. Now look at verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might want to underline that. When you are gathered together and my spirit. So that, that even takes it a step further. Instead of Paul saying I showed up. Paul's saying when you get together and you'll know I'm there. So here's, here's try to imagine it. Maybe there's eight or ten church leaders in the top of some, you know, building or house back in those days, some kind of candle or something, and they're gathering together to have this prayer time, and they all get together to pray, and they look at each other and say, well, is Paul here yet? Isn't that what he said? When you're gathered together and my spirit with you. Well, here's what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you're going to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's what you do instead of becoming puffed up. He never brought in board meetings and excommunication. He never brought in shunning. He never brought in blackballing. He never brought in any of these things. He brought in a group of men that will pray because they love the guy. And they're going to carry it through. Which goes all the way back. And we'll land the plane in Matthew 18. I want this generation to move in the power of the supernatural, not in the power of organization. Look here in Matthew 18. Verse 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, That if two of you will agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. See, Paul was just building off this verse and included himself in it. Why? How could Paul include himself in it? Same way Daniel could say, we have sinned. How could Paul include himself in it? The same way the Lord's prayer was, our Father. That's why Paul, when they gave to him in Philippians 4, he didn't say, your God will supply all your need. He said, my God. Because your need is my need. Identification. Jesus identified with us. And he said where two or three would gather together, there he would be in the midst of us. This first law of identification is so important that it's maintained by, by, by compassion. And you're not kicking this guy out because he's such a scallywag. You're mourning because you love him. And if you look at Matthew 18, you'll find that you went to him one-on-one. 
Then he didn't want to listen to you. You went to him with two or three other brothers. And then he didn't listen to him, to you. You take it to the church. But the church isn't described here as a board meeting to excommunicate him and kick him out and blackball him and shun him. Taking it to the church is illustrated here as that group of guys in the church get together and they pray to the Father. And whatever they bind, it gets bound. Whatever they loose, gets loosed. And the man gets delivered. Can you say amen? Let's stand up on our feet. I appreciate you tolerating me for so long, but I wanted to get that word into you. Because I know God's going to use you. Now after that, do you still have guts to say, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro? Do you still have guts to say, here I am, Lord, look no further? Two or three of you do. Okay. Anybody else? Lord, use me in intercessory prayer. Yeah, we got two or three more. Anybody say, Lord, I'm available. Use me in intercessory prayer. I identify with the needs of the people, the needs of the world. Wake me up, Lord. Use me, Lord. Go on, pray your own prayer right now. Your own prayer of dedication to the Lord. Lord, I want to be used like that crazy guy up front. Lord, I want to be used like these prophets in the Bible. Lord, I want to be used like your word says. I want to be a man of God, a woman of God. I want to make intercession and set the captive free. I thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, our Father, I thank you for ministering to each and every one of these people tonight. So now with a little bit of understanding of identification and a little bit of compassion, a little, a little bit of love that I know is in your heart because this is your family. This is your church. Some of you might be visitors, but I, I think the Lord touched you anyhow. You might end up here forever anyhow. I just want you to lift your hands up, pray in the Holy Ghost, and ask God to bless Ukraine. Lord, bless the nation of Ukraine tonight. I'm asking you, Lord, as I've asked many times, and I will continue to ask, like the importunate woman, Lord, I will keep coming back and coming back and asking you, Lord, stop this war. Stop this war. End this war. Stop this man. I ask you to remove Putin from the earth in the name of Jesus. I ask you to remove air from his lungs, blood from his body. I ask you to stop this war in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we declare freedom and liberty throughout the land of Ukraine. In Jesus' name, freedom and liberty. In Jesus' name. Ebra la mashehete kehe. Iba roto kuhuste le mataieto rambata kayete ribete ke. Oh, Rabala ke heshte heshte ke. Ebra matakasta. Bob, what do you got?
some, some, some question. Some say, oh, this is just, just, just too much and too deep. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It's just one simple step. It's one step of I will. It's one step I'm coming in. It's one time on my knees. It's one prayer at a time. It's one prayer at a time. It's one more prayer. It's one more prayer. It's five minutes here. It's ten minutes here. It's 30 minutes here. Then it becomes a lifestyle. A lifestyle that's available for all. Yes, available for all. It will look different upon you, but don't you be concerned what it looks like on you. Know and understand. It's the intimacy that will draw you in. It's your love for me and your love for that which I will reveal to you. The increase of that love will cause you to rise up in compassion. The compassion will grow. Your heart will be enlarged, and all of a sudden, you'll know, I can do this, I can do this, for it's the grace of God that I've tapped into, for that grace gives me the strength to endure, to persist, and to go further in. And it's faithfulness, faithfulness, one step at a time. And don't you ever, ever, ever think, when you're faithful with a little, I'm going to certainly give you much more. And there will be rewards. Yes, you'll hear it, but you'll also see it. Because the reward will be, you'll find me in a deeper place within you, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, one more time, lift your hands and worship the Lord. Thank Him with thanksgiving. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for all you're doing in our life. When I feel overwhelmed, when my soul is overwhelmed, I remember, I remember you. I give you praise. I give you glory. When I don't know what to do or how to do it, when it's beyond me, like these 2,000 people, Lord, I thank you that I'm not alone. I thank you that we as a church, we're not alone. We have a part. We have a part, but we're not alone. I thank you that the body of Christ, that mystery, that wonderful, wonderful mystery is bigger than everything we can see, greater than every need we can see. Minister by your Spirit through your body in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Sure do love you all so much with all my heart. Love on one another tonight as you go. 
shake hands, hug necks, make sure everybody, you know, ask them. You got gas in your car? It's $7.80 down the road here. Don't buy gas there. I think it's a stunt. But uh, still $5 a gallon. You know, make sure everybody has food in their fridge. Amen? Make sure everybody's needs are taken care of. You don't need to go any further than your own pocket and bless somebody. Amen? See you tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We'll be wrapping up our landmark tomorrow. Can't believe it's almost finished. Woo! Tomorrow night's going to be a doozy. Amen. Bless you as you go. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Is everyone blessed this evening? Amen. I want you all to put your hands together and clap for some special friends of ours. Pavel. This is uh, Pavel and Leonid from Ukraine. You, you haven't met them. Come here, Alex. Come here. At the Pavel. At the Sasha. Oh, yeah. And Leonid. So give him a, a hand clap and welcome. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's always good to have new friends, isn't it? We're in the same fight together, aren't we? We serve the same Jesus, don't we? Well, let's stand up and worship the Lord. Anybody in here love Jesus? Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before your throne boldly to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, there'll be no one within the sound of our voice that goes without a touch from heaven. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Father, we bless your holy name this evening. We thank you for everything that you've been doing. 
We want to be a grateful people. We honor your presence this evening. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to move among us and to minister to us. I ask that not one life go untouched. I ask that you would open their ears to hear, their heart to receive, their eyes to see the wonderful Word of God. We bless you for it, Lord, and give you praise and glory and honor, all that belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, praise God. You're at Church of the Word International at our 2022 Armada Landmarks. Turn around and greet somebody, shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, introduce yourself to someone, give them your name, ask theirs. Jesus is here. Love is here. We're so glad you're here. Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to love on one another? Isn't it good to be a part of a family? Praise the Lord. We're so blessed. I guess we... uh, Got a couple folks out. There seems to be a flu bug trying to move around and land here and there. Let's just believe God for healing and health in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is a healer. Well, this is like old memories, isn't it? We just need Ann Sill to be complete. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm I'm waiting for the sound booth back there. Alex, do we have a green light? Huh? You're ready. Well, come here and tell us what we're going to see. I like how he walks. That's why I love him. It's a commandment. Right. (laughs) Okay, um... What it is, as Dale already uh, told us a few days ago, I have, a, I have a buddy of mine. We all came to Christ when we were a graduate or a high school. He was the, the, the wild one. The Lord pretty much has done a good work, so he's a pastor now. In a city called Zaporozhye, this one word even Ukraine having a hard time to say or to pronounce. What happened today, um, if you think of a country, think of a southern border of it. So pretty much a big chunk of it has been uh, seized and occupied by Russian troops. And what happened today, because Russia won't let people out. So what they do, uh, they try their best not to let them out, but people still, as well as Ukrainian government, trying their ways to get out. But Russians play some tricks. What they do, they pull a caravan of cars, something you probably have not heard, maybe you did, and they use them as a human shield so that people have to wait, wait under the sun. No water, shower, or food, or whatever the finger food they have, that's the only thing. And they would have to wait three, four days while Russians letting them through. So it just happened today that Russia let through a big chunk of a caravan, about 2,000 refugees. Well, wait, it is wow, but 
We need to do something about it. I mean, some folks, and you'll see a picture. There's a girl. And instead of a skirt, she's having a blanket and just one slipper. And in fact, two different ones. And she considers herself lucky. She got out. Got out. And she considers herself lucky. So what it is, these people are coming in, and they cannot process them at once. So they have to split the caravan into a certain amount so they can process them. And as you can imagine, our government is just like any other government. It has structure but no heart. And what you'll see, you'll see people like you and me that care. And what it is, you'll see two drivers... I would have, I had to cut the, the shots. So you won't hear, and my folks from Ukraine, they won't hear the, the true conversation, some of it maybe. But the lady who's a volunteer, she's not being paid. She's a volunteer. She runs a big refugee camp. And two of the big guys, who are those guys? Oh, they're just volunteers. They volunteer to drive the vans. And one guy, and a second one too, they, they tell the tale a story that, okay, we cover about 4,000 miles in the city in a month, taking refugees to the train station, from the train station, from the camp to who knows where, and just in the city. It's in-city traffic, 4,000 miles a month. That's a lot as far as I'm considering. And uh, they both volunteers. One of them, he is a former military, so he li- he's living off the pension. That's his pay. But he volunteers. And when I see that, it's just, it's just kind of, it breaks my heart to see how just normal people are changing the world. Not the big, not the greatest, not the smartest, not the richest, but those with a big heart. And there's a glimpse of it you're about to see. It's going to be a short video. You'll see that. And you'll see this, this buddy of mine who was my best man. He still is. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's normal. He's okay. So no worries. Amen. Well, Alex called me this morning with this news of this new caravan making it through, as many others have. There have been days, it's going to be hard to believe, but there were days where as many as 30,000 people arrived in Zaporozhye in one day. And everyone is overworked. I, pe- I meet people all the time that they're just at a state of exhaustion. Uh, A week ago, I met with two pastors, friends of ours from Mariupol, uh, Pastor Gennady, Pastor Yevgeny. It was the first time uh, Gennady had been away from the front lines, first day he had not been uh, listening to and experiencing uh, shelling, shooting, and death. And uh, we just sat there for two, two and a half hours, and and what what, what can you do but weep? And... uh, I thought this would be good for you to get at least some small glimpse of what you're doing. Because already the the giving has been amazing. And I I just really, really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you. Uh, It's it's been a, a very, very dear honor for me to be able to empower men like Valeri. And I want to to be really clear as we shared I believe on Monday night that that is our priority whether it's our 10 men project where we're helping with evacuations 
where we're helping stocking medical supplies to all levels of hospitals, uh, military hospitals, maternity hospitals, children's hospitals, infectious disease hospitals. Um, and we've, we've been getting medicine to them. You know, I need to come back and let you know what you're doing. And thank you. We have a lot of footage and a lot of videos and a lot of photos because the people in Ukraine understand their link and they're so thankful for anyone who helps. And it's very, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking sometimes, you know, to, you get a video from a doctor or a nurse opening up the boxes of burn creams that we supplied in one instance, you know. Or, or, or they'll, they'll even open them up in front of the room so you can see the children behind them. And we have all of this, and, and I want to thank Alex for taking his dinner time out and just splicing some of that together so we could see it. And that's why I wanted to make a strong appeal tonight. That it, it, How many of you know Alex did the subtitles? How many of you know somebody sitting here needs to help Alex? Right? So if you saw the spelling errors, you're qualified. See, I asked him to do that on purpose, to catch you. And now you've been caught by the Holy Spirit. So, so if there's any writing skill in you or just time that you'd like to help, we've got so much stuff we could post. Uh, uh, we just need, basically in the secular world, you call it copywriters. We need copywriters. We need someone that can do some copy, paste, edit, post. Put up the video, edit a little bit of video, put up some photos, and put out one or two posts every day. We got tons of 10 men stuff that will bring you to tears, but we haven't really got it out. And so some of that is, is just logistical, you know, administrative type of stuff. But if you'd like to help, Alex, wave your hand again. The guy I make fun of all the time. That's who you want to talk to. And we really appreciate your help. And in our day and age with the Internet, it doesn't matter where you are. You know, we've got Google Drive. We've got all these things that we can help you with. And Alex is, is a good teacher. Now, as it relates to Valera and what, what can we do in this situation, um, I'm just going to talk to you about the facts, and then we're going to find a, what it is that we can do. This wave, and there will be more waves, they, they made reference, there'll be other waves, and there will. Uh, this wave is 2,000 people. One of the things we could do is put them all on a train. The train runs from Lviv, or excuse me, from Zaporozhye to Lviv. Runs every day. The problem is they only have 60 seats. And it's about $10 a person for what ends up being a 17-hour train ride, which is a pretty good deal. 10 bucks, 17 hours, right? Well, 10 bucks by 2,000. All right, so we're talking $20,000 just to get them out of this area so that they can uh, take another stage or another step towards some form of stability in life. Because these are people who have left everything. And uh, so that's one option. But again, what's uh, 60 a day into 2,000 is 30-something. So you're talking a month just to do that. It's not enough. An average bus, you know, we bought a bus, didn't we, Jay? Had seats 18 people. That's a pretty good size bus. Well, that's 111 bus trips. 
just to put it into to, to the concept of 2,000 people. So when you look at a situation like that, you know, every day I kind of just pray in the Holy Ghost and uh, just keep going. You do what you can where you can, right? One of the things, thank God for Alex. Have I ever told you how amazing Alex is? Alex found out that Western Union will transfer money from the U.S. to Ukraine with no fees, no transfer fees. But then he pried a little bit further and he found out that Valeri or any pastor, because there's several that we're working with and we're looking to work with more, can go to the Western Union counter and they'll give them dollars. Now the power in that, just to explain, is it all right if I explain some of these little logistics? Sometimes it's helpful. See, if we wire the money to a bank account that we have in Ukraine, which we do, we have two different NGOs in Ukraine, they exchange dollars into Grivna, which is the Ukrainian currency, at the official bank rate, which is 29.5. But on the street, it's 35.8. Sometimes it's gone as high as 36. So if I have a $100 bill, I don't want to change it in the bank. I want to change it on the street. So when we send you know, money to Valeri, if we send it through the bank, you get 29.5. We send it through Western Union with no fees. We, we, we get our money's worth. He gets his money's worth, right? So Alex has hit a home run on that one. Then we also had one of the, the problems was mentioned in the video, and a lot of times we don't stop and think about it, but the growing priority problem is actually not food or medicine. Those are all needs, but the priority is fuel. Because if you have the medicine and you can't get it there, or you have the food and you can't get it there, how, what good is it? And, and the availability of fuel in Ukraine right now is, is, is getting dire. Uh, it's been one of Russia's strategies is to eliminate access to fuel. They totally bombed the one main refinery that Ukraine has, and it was wiped out. In fact, there was a report that came out that it would take a year and a half to fix it, and the very next day they hit it with eight more rockets. And uh, so they've, they've blocked off the Odessa port. It's very difficult to get fuel in. Humanitarian aid is having trouble delivering. And uh, we found out that you'll go to a gas station, just like what you would around here. You have to remember, Ukraine's a European country. All right, you go into the gas station just like you would here at, at a Sheets. You go in and have your hot dog and buy your your uh, what is it? You triple shot Starbucks that Bob buys. You know all that good stuff. In fact, that's where I met Valeri. Was in one of those Wog cafes, wasn't it? Little gas station, and they'll tell you there's no fuel. We're out of fuel, and then then a military vehicle will pull up and they'll fill it up. See, because they've been rationing the fuel because military is a priority. Well, in certain instances, they'll give humanitarian aid a priority. So my, my assistant that I've hired over in Lviv, Gleb, he's, he's a lot like Alex, uh, just taller. He's 6'5". And uh, Gleb and I were talking about this, and he, he bats his eyes at me, and he says, you know, a friend of mine from university, I think he's a lawyer at Oco, which is one of their gas uh, companies. And I said, well, talk to him. 
So he went into the executive offices of OCO, met his friend from university, his, told him what we were doing with evacuations and medical supplies and, and, and helping. And he marched Gleb into the president's office and talked to the president. They sat down, signed a document. And now it's, this is so cool because we were thinking if they would give us prepaid fuel cards, that would just be the cat's meow because we could send them to people like Valeri. Because, believe it or not, the post still works. And we could get physical prepaid fuel cards in, in their hands. I'm thinking, victory! Gleb comes back and says, no fuel cards. They want to give us QR codes. So we can email a QR code of prepaid fuel to Valeri. He can just show his phone, whoop, and just like the military, fill up and get people to where they need to be. Is that awesome? So then, and this is why it's important that we get these worker bees doing these types of things. So, so I, I looked at Gleb and I said, you ain't done, boy. I said, there's more than Oko. And I don't think Oko's real big in the east. And he said, you're right. And I said, who's big in the east? So he started naming them off. And I said, get busy. So he went to everyone. And here's the funny thing. He went to Wog. And the first thing he said is, this is what Oko did for us. What are you going to do for us? He was out of there in five minutes. He, you know, so you get that old spirit of competition. Where we, got, we got three of them online now. So I just got to thank you from a, a military officer uh, of territorial defense around this little city called Nikopol. Nikopol is right across a, a river or man-made lake looking at the largest nuclear reactor in Europe that was captured by the Russians. Used to be Ukrainian, now it's Russian. And these 650 volunteers, we're not talking trained soldiers. We're talking guys like everybody in this room that just picked up a gun to defend their country. Most of them don't have helmets. Most of them don't have body armor. And one of the other things they don't have is actually fuel. So we, we just sent them... Uh, $2,000, I believe it was $2,000 of fuel just yesterday. And he was writing back saying thank you so that they can get from where they need to be to where, where, where they are to where they need to be and help in, in the situation. So these are the things you're doing. And I appreciate it. Uh, God put us there with a divine destiny. It's, it's in our DNA as a ministry. In 1993... I preached in Kiev and Donetsk and Dnipropetrovsk and Mariupol. It's a long time ago. And we met many of the men of God that are now uh, on the front lines. I don't believe any of that was accident. Sort of like, you know, you get born into a family that, that, that uh, uh, is a truck driver family. Well, you didn't get to choose. Your family is a truck driver family. You get, if your daddy's name was Bill Gates, you didn't get to choose. Shame on you. Your daddy's Bill Gates. Well, sorry, this church is, is Dale Armstrong and part of it's Ukraine. At the same time, of course, we've got all these other fingers and all these other pots. And we, 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 we aren't trying to say one is better than the other. We, we, Jesus died for, for Turkey as much as he died for the Philippines. Amen. As much as he died for Sri Lanka. Who else we got here? We got all. What's that? Man's choice. 
Yeah, man's choice. Had to, I had to check on that one. How many, yeah, Guatemala. Amen. Sitting on the front row. Amen. But for this moment in history, uh, we're not trying to rule out any other needs, but we see that God has called us to do something. And uh, I know I'm sowing my life into this area because Jesus asked me. And uh, we're going to stop this war in Jesus' name. And a part of stopping this war is intercession, which is what we're going to talk about in just a minute. Another part of this war is these people. I'm just be very, very honest. It is a war of attrition. And what that means is Putin only has so many missiles and he's running out. Uh, but that's, and he only has so many soldiers and he's running out. The death toll is horrific. The, the conscripts he's sending in are, are untrained 18-year-olds, even younger than that, mercenaries from Syria. All kind, it's, it, it's being revealed what the issues are in this war of attrition, and, and Russia has limits. Ukraine also has limits. Ukraine's war of attrition is cities and people. And they need to be supplied, and they need to be taken care of. And as they stand strong, Russia's will 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 falter, and Russia's will will break, and Putin will go to his destiny. I'm going to tell you right now what I tell everybody that I meet in Lviv. The Russian government will fall. Putin will be removed. And when the Russian government falls, Russia will open up again to the gospel. And Ukrainian pastors will send Ukrainian missionaries all throughout the, the nation of Russia. And we're going to see revival on that land again. In the name of Jesus. I think it was uh, Pat sharing. No, no, it was uh, Larry sharing this morning about Africa and how God and revival was countered and checked so many times by war. And I've always believed war was Satan's counterfeit to revival. And we're going to press through this check of, the, of Satan and push into the revival of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Um, actually, it's... Uh, uh, there's so much I could share. I just want to make sure I say thank you. We are going to receive an offering. We are going to help Valeri, and we're going to help many other pastors like Valeri. We're, we're going to continue with medical supply purchased by Ukrainian uh, manufacturers. We're working on so many other projects just empowering pastors to be pastors. One pastor I shared with you, Gennady, he brought 1,300 people out of Mariupol with his own money. He didn't have any U.S. support. They just do it because they're pastors, right? You know, another pastor and his wife brought out 9,000 orphans uh, out from the east to the west. Just organize, just because they could organize. Just because you can do it. So they did it. And we're going to keep empowering them because they do it so much better than we do. You know, I, I, I sat with one pastor, Pastor Yevgeny, and uh, you gave him $5,000 through me. I've known him for 30 years. 
And so you gave him $5,000 through me. And I gave him that envelope. He sat there and cried. He said, but then he said, what do you want me to do with it? I said, Yevgeny, you're the man. You know what to do with it. I know what you're doing. You're going to make the wise decisions. You know what needs to be done more than I need, than I know what needs to be done. You know, and just tell me when you need more. And uh, he's, he's real diligent. You know, they, they give us these reports. They give us all these photos. Um, let's take up an offering and we'll sow to that. Tonight's offering will go to Ukraine. Slava Ukraina. You want to give in cash, raise your hand. We have our handsome ushers tonight. If you're making out a check, please make it out to Armada, A-R-M-A-D-A. If you're giving by credit card, please do not write in tongues. <laughs> write legibly and fill in all the information. I've had several that we've looked at and we've had to pray for the interpretation. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He's a good God. Amen. Jean English is in Ukraine right now. Where's Kat? Is she here? She went home. We're going to lift up Jean when we receive this offering. He's in a danger zone. She's not here. I probably wouldn't say it if she was. We're, we're going to... Uh, I'm not... Well, the entire nation is at war. There are some areas that are hotter than others. And uh, things change really fast, really fast. Everybody ready to give? Let's pray over the offering tonight. Again, all of this is going to go to Ukraine. We'll let you know where and how. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for each of these pastors and volunteers and those that help, Lord, they've dropped everything to, to help the others who are less fortunate. We thank you for blessing them and keeping them healthy, keeping them strong, and providing them with the basics that they need. And Lord, sometimes when it's just some hygiene things or, or, or a little bit of this or that or some food, I ask you that you would supernaturally supply it time and time again. Make, make the right connections with the right people so that things are not left in a warehouse somewhere, locked up and forgotten. But let them be emptied. And I, and I thank you that all the bureaucracy and all the corruption is, is literally rooted out. And in anyone's hands involved in those corruption pots is scalded and burned. And that they would bring about righteousness in, in, in ministering to the needs of the nation of Ukraine. We thank you tonight. Gene is safe. We thank you, Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield and the angels of God. We thank you that our brother is, is, is in a safe place and is empowered to minister effectively in the name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord, even as you have said through Paul, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And Lord, I know when he said that, it was about financial needs. And he was bold to declare that my God will meet your need 
And Father, in the same way, we declare that our God will meet Ukraine's need. And on Ukraine's behalf, Lord, we pray that those needs be met in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The people will wait, or the ushers will wait upon the people, and the people will be obedient unto the Lord. Amen. Thought it was just really sweet that we had some guests with us from Ukraine. And... uh, just seemed to be really fitting to see how the Lord weaves it all together. One brother, you're from Slavyansk, Pavel? Born in Slavyansk? Some of you might remember Slavyansk. We helped uh, pastor there uh, years ago with, uh, I guess we put a roof on an orphanage back in 2012, 2013. I remember Where's the salt mine? I went way down like a kilometer half into the ground and looked through a salt mine. Do you know where that is in that area? I forget the name of it. it yeah, it was uh, quite an experience. I mean, that was incredible. Never, I thought it was going to get close to hell. We were going down that elevator so long. It's like a kilometer and a half down. Biggest, one of the biggest salt mines in the world. I think there's one bigger in uh, Canada. 